Hey everybody, well, welcome to the new studio and the new videos that we're going to kick off here 2019, summer 2019. I know a bunch of you have been wondering whether or not we were going to have some new videos posted on here and the short story, you know, long story short, yeah, yes we are and I know they're delayed and I apologize. So. Without wasting much more time, let me just go ahead and get this camera set up. We're going to sit down at the new little station here. We're going to go through what this new series is going to be, what these, what this kind of new video is going to be, which is essentially going to be a Row Hunting Resources podcast, if you will. I'm going to talk about some of the stuff that I've been doing with some whitetail habitat management and food plots and some of the challenges that I just discovered and some of the things I'm going through there, what's been tying up my time, and then I'm gonna share with you a couple things of where we're gonna go with some of these uh, new videos and new content, and then we're gonna dive into a question that came in regarding broadheads. Now, specifically, the question was about broadheads for elk, but I think I'm gonna just couch it under broadheads for elk and whitetails, but we're gonna take it, uh, we're gonna come at it from a different direction, all right? So, let me get this camera set up here, get set up over there and we'll kick this baby off all right well welcome welcome all right so obviously we are in a new studio little environment here if you follow me on instagram uh or facebook yeah Instagram, Facebook. I'm not, I really, Twitter anymore is, I, I've never been fired up about Twitter, and so I really don't do much on Twitter. So Instagram and Facebook. So if you follow me on Instagram and Facebook, you probably understand what's, what, where I'm sitting, what this whole thing is. We'll talk more about all the little accoutrements in here and the workstation and the TV and some of the other stuff that's going on in here, but I've just got to start getting some content out to you guys, and I apologize. Now, a couple things. Number one, um, this scenario right here with the, the camera, the, this particular microphone, uh, the reason why I'm using this particular microphone right now is because I'm going to be at this desk. I've got the computer uh, for some notes that I want to utilize for what I'm going to be talking about here in a little bit. So this works for this scenario, but realistically, the reason why I'm using this microphone is because I do have the... Um, air conditioner on because it's hotter than the blue blazes out there and it's going to be all week I mean it's just it's going to be just high 90s low triple digits here for the next foreseeable so I've got the AC running and it's just going to be what it is so hopefully this microphone kills most of that sound if it doesn't oh well I think you guys will be able to get through it um, it's not I've listened to it I don't think it's that bad if it's that bad Sorry, but I'm not going to sit in here and sweat my you-know-what off. Um, it's just, I'm just going to have the AC running on low just to keep it nice and cool in here, number one. Number two, um, part of the, and I apologize. I know that a lot of you have been wanting new video content, and I keep telling everybody that, yes, it's coming. Yes, it's coming. Yes, it's coming. I've got a pile of videos that I want to get out to you guys and I have guys and gals, and um, if you hear me just say guys, it's it's to all of you. Guys, gals, it doesn't matter. I just, this is how I talk, and, and you're going to have to get used to it. Um, and especially in this format, because what 
this is going to essentially end up being is the Row Hunting Resources podcast style discussions. All right, so we have the straight shot videos that are on the elk module that are similar to this, but they're not as long form and they may not touch on multiple topics. And quite honestly, they're generally very specifically related to elk topics or deer topics, whatever they're going to be. They're, they're a very specific, narrow focused topic. Some, and, and I try to keep them a little bit shorter. Well, folks have been asking for a little bit more of a long form format, I, I, essentially a podcast. People have asked me all the time why I don't have a podcast. There's some reasons for that, or at least had been in the past. So we'll see. Me, I, I'm jumping ahead already, and again, you're going to have to deal with me going down rabbit holes and and um, chasing little squirrels that are running over, running around in my head. The point being is, is there's a lot of content that I've been wanting to get out to you guys, but based on what we used to do in the past with a very nice visually aesthetically pleasing produced video I am with what I'm doing out here in Kansas with the whitetail management and um, not only on the properties that I currently manage we just doubled the size of the footprint of what I've got out here that I'm helping with out here in Kansas and I'm also helping land other landowners consulting and helping them do some of their habitat stuff so now my time and and we're tack if you are like us we are we just we just we don't hire stuff out so we're doing a big landscaping project in the side yard and we're doing it ourselves like we've done everything else on this house of course that's what i was gonna say there you go chris turn your phone off well hey at least it started off in the beginning and 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 it's and this is a game camera. What in the world is stepping in front of the game? Of course, nothing. It's just the heat. Again, like I said, I've got it on silent now. So, you know what? Yeah, I'll just leave it on silent in case someone needs to get a hold of me. And nah, it is what it is. I'm gonna leave it on silent. There it is. Um, so I'm guessing I'm I'm glad it went off now than later because I just sat there and told myself three times, "Don't forget to turn your phone off." And apparently, I forgot to turn my phone off. Um. But with as busy as I have been with this, the landscaping project, with the habitat stuff, days just keep ticking off, weeks just keep ticking off, and here we are, middle of July, and I'm like, goodness freaking gracious, we've got about a month before people start just leaving and heading out, you know, a month to six weeks before elk camp starts, and I'm I. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I mean, there's enough material in the elk module for a lot of people to chew on, but for you longtime subscribers, I know that you guys enjoy the new content, and so I apologize for the delay. We're going to start trying to rock and roll. However, with that being said, I don't have time. There's just no way that I'm going to be able to spend three, four, five days on really cute, you know, ooh-ah video editing to make a, a it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So if we want new content, people have asked for a long-form discussion. People have asked for more of a podcast-style uh, video series. Well, buckle up. Here we go. I've resisted it for a while, but I think there's an opportunity here maybe that I can tackle some different conversations, different topics that might um, be of interest for you folks. And this is going to be just quick and dirty 
you're going to get stuck looking at my face. I apologize. You're going to be stuck looking at my face, but we're going to talk about topics and you're going to have the content of the the information uh, so that you can chew on it. Some of these podcast style discussions, this style of discussion is going to be largely based off of my opinion. So it is going to deviate a little bit more off of what I've done in the past. Now, everything that I share in all of my educational stuff is my opinion, pure, pure and simple. However, like I've done with the elk module in the past quite a bit is I will put an elk in front of you and then you can argue with her or him based on, you know, what the body language is and what their response is and what their vocalization is, is who's do, you know, who's doing what and how. There's been a lot more backup, video backup to what I've been saying. Some of the topics that people have asked me to dive into are are they, they don't lend themselves to that as much. And quite honestly, like the, the topic that I decided to go ahead and, and tackle this one, because I've had it so stinking many times, was people want to know what was the best broadhead for elk. Oh, what are, what is my, what are my recommendations for broadheads for elk? Man, that, that question has been answered 80 million different times by 80 million different people, and you don't get the same answer. So you know what? I'm going to tackle it, but I'm going to tackle it from a, maybe a different direction than, you know, come from a different direction than maybe anybody else has. And maybe that's going to be valuable to you. I hope it is. But it is going to be completely my opinion. All right, so this format is going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Yeah, okay, the straight shot videos, and I don't know if this ends up morphing into the future of the straight shot videos. And I don't know, maybe the, the straight shot uh, videos just end up morphing into this. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, but w- right now, it's just going to be quick and dirty. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have these conversations with me, the microphone, the computer, the desk, and you. Now, with that being said, I know Randy Newberg. I know other people do this scenario. I have resisted for a long time doing this, all right? Now, in the studio in, well, whether it was in Colorado, the old studio, if you go back to the old videos, if you go back to some of the videos that I've done these past couple years in my office, excuse me, up in, uh, well, in the office here at the house, you'll notice, yes, I do sit in front of my computer, I do answer questions, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not this visual, all right? There are a lot of people that have this visual and this type of setup. I've never been a fan of it. Period. I, I, that's me. Visually, I'm not a fan of it. So I've resisted doing this. All right. Again, in my mind, I know what we can do and what I would like to do and make things, you know, ooh and ah and all blah blah blah. But I also know I'm, I'm realizing what my limitations are, and so. Necessity dictates that I change things up, and this is what necessity dictates. I'm not trying to copy anybody's shtick, okay? I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, people talk all the time, you know, imitation is the greatest, you know, sincerest form of flattery. Bull, okay? Bull. I've never believed that. The only people that say that are the people that are doing the imitating, okay? The the pioneers, the leaders, the, 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 um, Folks that stick their neck out and try something new and and test it in front of people and then see success, those are the ones that are that 
No, they're, they're not the ones that are doing the imitating, okay? The ones doing the imitating are the ones waiting for someone else to stick their neck out, see what's successful, and say, oh, okay, well, now I'll try it. I hate that, all right? So I'm not, I have resisted this little visual for a while because there are other people out there that this is their signature look, okay? I'm not trying to copy them. I, I am not. It's just what it is. This is what I've got as far as the time to crank stuff out to you and I do need to have some notes so I've got them on the computer plus I'm running this microphone into this computer so I can sync it up with that camera just because it does sound better because of the AC unit so here we are all right so please do not think that I'm sitting there trying to copy somebody because I'm not and that's what I I have I have resisted for a while now doing this Probably to my detriment and to your frustration because, again, we, I could have been probably doing this a couple weeks ago, a month ago, whatever, and we could have had more content out to you. Again, I apologize. It's been crazy. All right, so there's some other things that we're going to be doing. I will touch on them as they come. I have one that's going to be you know, the Hunt Companion, which I think is going to be fun. Um, I'll talk more about that when I kick that one off. Um, I've talked about it before on social media, but I will just touch on it really quick here. So, on the new website uh, interface, Kelly, my wife, Kelly, is the back end of all the websites. She's the webmaster on our website. If you send in a tech question, you know, a contact at Row Hunting Resources, it goes to her. It'll come to me too, but it goes to her. And if it's a website question, she's the one who answers. She manages the database, the membership database. She handles all that stuff and the web design and all of the infrastructure of it. And she deals with the mobile part of, or, or well, building the website so that it has more of a mobile interface. And, you, and if you are one of those people that has been using, that gets on the elk, it doesn't matter, any of the row hunting resources, website material, especially now that we're getting ready for elk season, a lot of you that are listening to this are elk hunters interested in elk content, but I know for a fact some of you are also whitetail enthusiasts that are doing habitat stuff and whitetail management, etc. Okay, if you have been on the website and utilizing the modules, with your mobile device, you should know about, you should see by now that it is a better, it has a better feel and a better interface. Kelly has optimized it so it does um, interact with your mobile device a lot better. If you have, if you like it, let her know. Please, by all means, let her know. Just send her a little note saying, awesome, great job, love it. If you don't love it, don't rip on her and say, this thing sucks. Give it what don't you like about it? Is there something that is not working the way you want it to work? Okay, let us know if there if there's something that we can fix or tweak or whatever. Or a bunch of you say, man, we would really prefer X Y Z. If you can articulate what it is, by all means, let us know. The more people that let us know, the higher ranking it is that it needs to be addressed. That's why she changed the mobile the the the, the um, the feel of the website, uh, because it, for for those that are utilizing the website on a laptop, you may not notice as badly as, or or you may not have noticed as much of a difference. 
But if you're using a very large computer, you may see, what the heck? Why is this thing just, it looks different. Why? Because it's optimized for mobile. Because the vast majority of people that were interacting with the Elk module and the in the website were using it from a mobile standpoint. So if you're one of those people that are utilizing it from a, a large screen um, desktop, just take your browser window, rather than expanding it across the entire screen of your computer, just move it over so it's a, skin, a, a longer, skinnier orientation, and you'll be able to see uh, everything a lot better, all right? Just keep in mind, the reason why it looks a little different on a desktop is because now it is optimized a lot better for a mobile device, number one. So, again, let Kelly know how you like that, all right? Please, by all means. Number two, the other thing that you may see in there. Now, let me go through this real quick because I was going to do a complete tutorial on it. And then I'm like, why, goodness gracious, can we just beat a dead horse? So we're going to just do it right here and make this easy. So if you are using your mobile device to access the content, keep this in mind. If you open your web browser, right? Go to your homepage, the Row Hunting Resources homepage. All right, it'll load. Go ahead and log in. Come on. Log in. Bam. Now, Obviously, as an administrator, I have full access. I'm, I've got the, the full access on all of the modules. If you are just an elk module subscriber, you'll just have access to the elk module. If you are a deer, you'll get deer. If you're turkey, you'll get turkey. I would strongly suggest anybody who is a who is who likes whitetails, who likes turkey hunting, who likes elk, blah blah blah, just become a full access member because these videos are going to be couched under the full access the initial let me take a step back the initial release of these podcast style videos will be released under the full access subscription okay after they've been up for a little while for all of the full access folks then if it is uh, more say it's more related to elk It'll be pulled and put into, it'll be archived in the elk module. If it's more related to deer, it'll be archived into the deer. And then those module subscribers will be, ha be able to have access to that discussion. So if you want these discussions almost, you know, as soon as they are released, become a full access member. All right. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because this podcast style discussion is going to stay housed within the subscription format of the website. Why? Because I still work for you. I work for you, right? I don't have advertisers. I haven't. I there's been some people that no. I I just done again rabbit holes. I am not accepting advertisers at this time. Not at this time. I'm. I will see if I change my mind on that. But there are some limitations. I have been told by a number of people that the subscription-based um, system that we've got here is a mistake. 
that I'm leaving money on the table, that if I, if I took this stuff wide open and made it absolutely wide open public and got sponsors or advertisers, I'd make a lot more money. Maybe. But the problem is, is I have seen repeatedly a number of celebrities, a number of podcasts. I've seen a number of businesses erode the credibility of their brand or their branding or their their notoriety or name or reputation or whatever you want to say. Goodness gracious, my nose is just... Whatever you want to say, they, the more they started chasing dollars, the less... Well, some of them have completely, utterly destroyed their original brand. Others have some of their some of the content nowadays. It almost seems like they're just desperate for content because they need to have content in order to support the advertisers. The advertisers want X, Y, Z. They want a podcast a week or two podcasts a week, and then all of a sudden, the podcast host or the celebrity runs out of ideas. But they still have a contractual obligation to produce something, so they should start producing stuff that's just drivel. I'm sorry, in my opinion, it's drivel, and I it just anymore. I'm literally, it's getting to the point where anymore I am flicking through all the different podcasts that I have subscribed to, and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Oh, there's there's a top. Oh, I, yeah, I'll listen to that top. I mean, one here, one. I mean. I've lost interest in a lot of podcasts because I think a lot of them are trying to chase the dollar. And this, this market of podcasts has gotten so diverse now that it the advertising market is not easy. And in for and I again, another little segue real quick. I apologize. Okay, there's some people that want every everything that if they see any it if they see something on the internet, it should be free. That's the idea. And because they get content out on the internet for free, they think everything is quote-unquote free. Well, no. Just because someone is giving you content and you are consuming it for free does not mean that they are working for free. They're getting paid by an advertiser. They're getting paid by a sponsor. Or they're doing it through a business. Their business is one thing. They, get a, they, they, are, they are making their living doing this job and part of that job, they do a podcast or they do videos to support the product that they're pushing. Okay, They're still getting paid. You just aren't the one footing the bill. Again, I just talked about why I have some reservations about doing that. So, no, I'm not going to just turn everything over and just make it a free podcast or, or make it all free. Co- I've had people that just say that this all all this content just needs to be put up on YouTube and then I can get advertising and, and sponsorship through YouTube and it should be free to everybody. No, sorry. It costs a lot of money to manage the website that we have. It costs a lot of money for me to go out and spend the time to do the video, get the video, get all the cameras, the qu- uh, everything that supports what I do. And this is my job. So I still have bills to pay just like you do, insurance and everything else that I've got to run. So I work for you and you guys have graciously, voluntarily evaluated what I am providing and have said, 
I value what Chris is providing, and based on that value, I will freely, voluntarily give him XYZ as far as money to access the information that he's willing and the resource that he's willing to share. I am a free market capitalist, conservative baby, and I will stand by that. All right? So I work for you. So this is going to stay for right now. This is going to stay within the subscription model of the website. The initial release on the podcast-style discussions will be for the full access folks, and then they will get moved over to the respective um, modules, if you will, based on the topic that, that the video is going to be covering. All right, makes sense? Hope it makes sense. I hope that really makes sense. Likewise, because of all the things that we are going to be expanding into with, with these new videos and as, as we just continue on, because this is going to be, this is kind of like Row Hunting Resources 2.0 as we move forward, because we're going to be doing a bunch of different stuff. Um, the heck, oh, the elk module is probably going to start morphing in the Elk Hunting Institute. You've, you've seen me with the hashtag Elk Institute and the idea, and, and this, I, I really do want to propel this into the Elk Hunting Institute and start diving into topics even more in depth than what we have and diving into different topics than we've even talked about before that are of a research and scientific nature that I think you guys are going to find inter, you know, entertaining, interesting, and educational, and maybe some of it directly applicable to what you're doing out in the field, all right, and your success out in the field. So we're going to expand the elk module greatly. We're going to start expanding the deer module with a lot of the habitats of the habitat stuff that I am doing. And I guess just, uh, let's just jump in. Oh, sorry, sorry. Golly. Again, rabbit holes. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And this it, it gets worse the busier I am because my mind is going 18 different directions. So let me just go back to what the heck I was just talking about with the website and the mobile function of the website and the fact that a lot of people are utilizing the mobile device and because they're using the mobile, their mobile device to access it, a lot of people have asked, is there a way to have an audio-only version of our material so that way you guys can listen to it in the car, in the truck, on your way to work, the grocery store, to L Camp, wherever. Well, if you go, okay, this video series is going to be an extension of that desire of yours. So, so we are going to make this not only a video, but we are also going to make this audio only so you can listen to it in your vehicle. But more importantly, Kelly has already done that for a variety of videos in the Elk module for right now. So, you Elk module subscribers or full access subscribers that that look at the Elk stuff. If you log in on your mobile device, you're going to get to your home screen. Okay? I'm going to choose Elk module. Okay? So, just click on the Elk module. Bam. It's going to open up the Elk module. You're going to see that each of the broad topics are in their own little pigeonhole, if you will. All right, so let's go to, let's just say, nah, let's go found, doesn't, 
it doesn't matter. Getting started. If you want to, no, let's just do this because everybody wants the, the meat and potatoes. Go to the foundation. Okay, so you scroll to where you see the foundation. Tap on it. It's going to open up the entire suite of videos that are in the foundation principles. All right, so now you're going to see, okay, you've got elk behavior series. We've got the cow vocalization series. We've got the bull, elk vo bull vocalization series, etc. If you want to listen to something in the behavior series, let's say, say you're, going, you're, you're on your way to elk camp and you want to revisit the CU first principle, all right? You can go into foundation, click on that. It'll open it up. You can go to behavior series, click on that. It'll open it up. Now, oops. It's going to give you a, your, your introduction video is going to be there. Just keep scrolling down. Okay, now you have basics of behavior. I'm Chris yeah, yeah, I know it's Chris Rowe. Hold on. Bam. All right, there's your introductory, introductory video. So when you get into here, obviously we have a whole bunch of different videos. Okay, so we have the basics of elk behavior, factors effect, affecting elk behavior, rethinking the rut. Okay, so if we go to, let's just say, the basics of behavior. All right, and we click on the basics of behavior. When we get in there, you are going to see the different thumbnails regarding the different videos that I have in there. But most importantly, right above the header that says the basics of behavior, you are going to see a little icon that looks like a set of headphones. And underneath that, it says audio only. If you click on that, it reopens that section and now they are through SoundCloud, essentially a podcast. They're audio only. Now, they're not, you. if you go to SoundCloud, if you are logged into SoundCloud, no, you're not going to find them in SoundCloud because they're they are private and they're, they're housed here. So you still have to log in to your account on the module to access them. But now, if your cell phone, if you've got Bluetooth, Bluetooth headphones, if you have Bluetooth in your vehicle and or a, a direct plug that you can plug your you know, smartphone into your car stereo, now you can play the audio version of this and you're not gonna have you're not gonna be struggling with buffering and trying to stream videos uh, as you're driving. These are going to load and play much easier. You're still going to need internet connection. You're still going to need 3G or you know 4G LTE or better. You're you're still going to need connectivity. All right, with your with your phone. There these do not these are not like the Elk Hunters Strategy app that you can purchase and have it stand alone on your phone. They are still run through the subscription. Okay, they're still through the website, but they are much easier to stream, if you will in this format. So now you do have the ability to play these on your way to, you know, back and forth from work or, you know, running errands or on your way to hunting camp. Now you can sit there and you can play them a lot easier. All right. And this series, this podcast type of long form discussion is going to be offered in a audio, in an audio format only as well. All right. 
Um, so, there you go. All right, that's that out of the way. Um, so, what the heck's been going on? All right. I get, and I touched on the fact that uh, the Hunt Companion, and we got some other videos that are going to come in. I've, I, because I have the big TV here, um, I have the ability to plug this in and run videos. So we're we're gonna we're gonna tackle some new stuff, and I've got a bunch of stuff that we're gonna uh, play with that I think will be pretty cool. But for right now, goodness gracious! So what's been going on? What the hell has been eating all of my time? Um, you name it. This habitat stuff that I'm doing out here this year has been really crazy. So I did go to to Mexico this year with Jay Scott, uh, Jay Scott Outdoors, uh, GouldsTurkeyHunt.com. I went back down to Mexico and guided with him for just shy of a month, and it got me back here in mid-May. Well, if you've been, again, if you've been following, if you are a subscriber and you don't follow me on social media, I would suggest that you do so because I share a lot of different stuff over there as well namely especially instagram so if you don't want to jump on facebook or whatever that's fine i understand that completely but just jump you know go over to instagram create an account follow me and you'll there's all sorts of good stuff on there especially igtv stuff if you like deer and turkey habitat management type discussions because there's a lot of that over there um but for those of you who've been following you know that we had a cold wet winter uh fall which really put the kibosh on a lot of my cool season plots it just didn't grow initially as vigorously and healthy as i wanted they, they came up and they established but they were just kind of meh. well the deer and turkeys pounded the piss out of them in the fall and winter so this spring they had a lot of ground to catch up on well because there's so many weeds out there especially namely cheatgrass we had a bunch of stuff come in and just it, it choked out with cheatgrass so I really did go into a couple different places. Um, I haven't gotten a text all day, and now it's just nonstop. I'm just going to turn the phone over. Unless I hear a bleep. Anyway. So, <laughs> sorry. Again, squirrel. Um, because of that. The cheatgrass came in in a bunch of places. So when I got back from Mexico, all a bunch of my food plots were just choked out with weeds big time. So it just it was hit the ground running on sp- mowing, spraying, spraying, mowing, mowing, spraying, just different depending on this plot that, that I was tackling. It's trying to eke out as much benefit out of the cool season plots that I could that weren't completely choked out by mowing them. Other ones I had to mow and then spray. Other ones I just sprayed. And then by the time I got done with that, it, we had so much rain. It just kept raining and raining and raining that we just had fields that were flooded. It was too wet to get into. I couldn't plant the, the food plots that I wanted to plant. Now, Grant, okay, for you that are out in the Midwest, whether you're in Nebraska, Iowa, what, Missouri, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of people out there that are absolutely physically hurting as far as a financial standpoint because their livelihoods have been just hammered because of flooding, because of the weather we've been having this year. I can't even begin to say how sorry I am. I can't even be imagine being in your shoes because I know how frustrating it has been for me 
and quite honestly, a lot of the stuff that I've been wanting to do is you literally could just couch it in a hobby category. Okay. Yes, I run the hunt. I run the deer management out here on the properties that I that I manage. I run the hunts that we're going to have out here this fall for whitetail and especially the turkeys next spring. Okay. I run all those hunts and we have an absolute full complement of hunters that are coming out this year. So for me, I have the pressure that I want to, I always want to make this the best of the best of the best experience for all of the people that come out. And so for me, I want my food plots just rocking and rolling and they are not. And so, yes, I get frustrated, but goodness gracious, there are farmers that are just done. That I, I, I don't even know how their insurance is going to cover. I mean, they just physically cannot get into fields to farm and their livelihoods are at risk or maybe their houses are completely flooded or you may be living on the river bottoms and, and your house, farm, business, whatever is completely flooded out. Do not misconstrue me complaining about my efforts as minimizing what you guys are going through i can't even i can't even imagine and i'm so sorry to see it with that said i'm so it's been a frustrating spring and early summer with so much to do all right now like i said i mentioned we are tackling so we moved here in kansas We've been working on our property and upgrading and, and fixing up the house and working. On, I finally, it's been five years, we finally got the garage and slash new studio done. So that's why I'm sitting here, which has been a huge relief, weight off the shoulders. And it's just nice to be finally in here and actually rocking and rolling and utilizing it. But one of the projects we had was this yard. We, we still had, we had to, at some point we needed to finish up the dang house. And so this last project, this last push is one of the last two big pushes. So this gets tackled, and the next big one is going to be the back porch slash deck that needs to be fixed and, and developed, okay? So this has been going on, and again, because of the weather, we've been delayed. You can't get out there because it's either too wet, or now it went from too wet to triple digits. So that's eating our time, taking longer than what we wanted, but the habitat stuff that I'm doing is just, it's, it's taken its toll, it's, or not taking its toll, it's, it's been taking its time. Now, I'm literally doing this video now, knowing full well that as soon as I'm done here, I'm going back out, I'm loading up the Ranger, or I'm glad, grabbing the Ranger, I'm loading up the Genesis 3 no-till, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to put some stuff in the ground. I'm actually going to plant corn. It's middle of July. I know the odds of, of me planting what I'm going to plant today is low as far as what it's going to do. But here's the reason why. So if you've been on social media, again, Instagram, and you watch what I did with my soybean plot and that big corn plot, both of them have been so far a disappointment and i only share this with you now kelly gets on me about um you know being a pessimist and, and sharing my my woes if you will <laughs> on my projects and being a pessimist on you know on social media it's it's not that i want to be a pessimist I, this is educational you know what is the adage 
you know, a, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Hopefully you can be a wise man or woman and learn from me. All right? Even if it's what not to do. All right? That's what Mark Twain said. There's, there, there's no man so stupid I can't learn something from him. I always added to that, even if it's what not to do. All right? So even if I share something with you that's just an utter miserable failure, maybe you can learn from it and say, hmm, I'm not going to do what Chris just did because that didn't work at all. At least I'm the one out here doing it for you. So you hopefully save you some time, money, and heartache. Well, here's what happened. So let's tackle the soybean one first. Okay, now we, I'm going to end up doing at some point a full-on video about the Genesis 3 no-till because I think it's awesome. But it does have its limitations, all right? They built that machine very well. However, they built it for a certain select purpose. And when it, gets, when it comes down to soft soils, especially if those soft soils have a good moisture component to it, it could be a challenge, all right? That's what I had this year. So when I wanted to put the soybean in the ground and the corn in the ground, I had the conditions that that machine can have issues with. I thought I had mitigated for them, but maybe I did not. So let's tackle the, the soybean first. All right. There's a lot of resources out there for deer habitat management and food plotting. And if you listen to a lot of folks that are experienced with growing soybeans, they're, the one thing they're going to always tell you is you need a big plot. You need acreage. Because soybeans are so highly selected by whitetails that if you have a small plot, and they find them, they'll just mow, they'll just go right through and mow them to the ground. They'll just wipe the whole thing out because the way the soybean grows, it throws up a shoot and a couple little leaves. Well, it needs to branch out a couple times and have a few more leaves on the head of that thing and a deer come in and nibble off two or three of them, but it still needs two or three to just keep growing. If that thing comes up and just throws out two leaves and sitting there and it's developing its roots and it's trying to grow those next one and the deer just comes in and zip and nips off the whole top, done, gone. Well, and if people do want to try doing small plots, the number one recommendation is put a fence around it and there's a, 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 a now they've called it's a brand name, it's Hot Zone. But the, the three-dimensional style fence, wherein on the interior line, on your interior fence, you've got two lines, a top line and a bottom line. And then on the outside, you have a third single, okay? I don't know if that, it's, it'll, it'll come out. So you've got a three-dimensional fence, so it's shaped like a triangle. The whole point behind that is deer don't like to jump long distances laterally. They just like to just up and over okay well if you have that three-dimensional fence and it's hot we mean electrified they don't want to jump over it if you put this line right about nose height and they come up and zip they get zapped by it well if they want to go under it they see this bottom fence if they try to jump over it they see this top line and so that three-dimensional fence can do 
as long as it's electrified, and I would argue, some people say, oh, you only need the outside electrified. Baloney. Electrify all three of them suckers. All right? Because you get a little fawn. Okay, say a doe walks up. She's got a fawn. And the fawn goes under, can just walk underneath that electrified line. She gets on the inside and just steps over this line. As she goes out in the field, the doe is going to, she's going to follow. She'll make it in there. She'll get in there somehow. All right? Likewise, if somebody does defeat that first line or decides to jump it or try to get under it or whatever, and then they encounter those other two and don't get zapped, they'll, they'll get it figured out and they'll defeat it. I say, my opinion, electrify all three lines. But it needs to be a three-dimensional triangle like that. All right? Otherwise, I mean, you could do a four and four, but or two and two if you want, so it's a four-way. But that three-dimensional one of the three lines works very, very well. The brand name of the people that try to sell that is a hot zone. So if you hear people say a hot zone fence, that's what it is. Okay, You don't need to go hot zone. You can go to your farm and ranch store and get fiberglass poles or you can even get the steel hot, you know, the steel fence posts with insulators. And you can get, you know, from a horses, a lot of people use the wide um, tape. Basically, it's a, it's a, it's a vi- polyvinyl tape, nylon polyvinyl wide tape that's usually white or yellow white and then through there are these fine little aluminum wires that go through there just increases the surface area so if something wants to touch it zap it zaps them a lot better and it's a lot more visual the tape is what is used in that hot zone style fence i highly recommend that because it is quite highly visible all right the other thing too just to say just a little segue when you do do it I like having it to where it's flat. Some people will put a twist in it so the the fence doesn't flutter. Quite honestly, I like the fence fluttering because it actually shows up a little bit better. But you can play with it. Anyway, it's the wide, the you know maybe half inch wide tape, electrified tape, so it's visible. Um, you can get that at at your farm and ranch store, and you can run your own. And then you can get a solar charger if you want or a battery-operated charger or if you've got a, it near a power source, you can get a charger that plugs in. But you want to have that thing plugged in and you want to have it plugged into the biggest juice that you can, okay, the biggest zap that you can. So if you're going to do a small plot of, of soybeans, you need to fence it off unless the deer are not going to be there. All right, so if the deer are only in a certain area seasonally, you might be able to get away with it might and that's where i had it that's what ended up with me so my neighbor was was gonna have his field in soybeans and this has happened to me twice now so lesson learned on me fool me once no fool me twice Mm. this has happened twice on me now so from here on out chrissy's gonna have to fence some stuff off because what happened The neighbor was going to plant a very large field in soybeans. And the deer typically like going to that field to feed. And they bed adjacent to that field from time to time. Well, for a lot of times. If the food source is there, they will bed closer to it. If the food source is on us, they will bed on us. Well, we have got corn on the bulk of our property on this particular piece of property. Well, there's a small one and a half acre chunk that is very difficult for the landowner to get in there with his corn equipment. When he wants to go plant corn, 
It's too wide. It, 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 it's, it's hard to turn around. So he said, go ahead, plant that into a food plot this year if you want. I chose soybeans. So that way we had soybeans on the landscape and we had corn. And I was going to just leave the soybeans standing this winter. I was really wanting the pods. I really wanted that soybean plot to really be more towards pods. I thought that maybe in the summer, later on the summer, maybe somebody was going to trip through there and stumble upon it and find it. And okay, fine, they eat some of the vegetation, but I really was focusing on the pods. Neighbor didn't plant soybeans. So the deer start wandering the landscape and they're looking for any food that they've got. So you've got corn on the landscape, which they'll eat and it's tasty, but it's not as good as soybeans. There's Milo, which is, it's all right, but it's not as good as corn, tasty wise, and it darn sure ain't as good as soybean. So the deer start wandering the landscape looking for food. All the wheat has gone has gone is ripe now so the wheat starting to get harvested out here so the deer are wandering the landscape looking for food guess whose soybean soybean plot they stumble on guess whose soybean plot wasn't fenced because i didn't think the deer were going to find it this early so my soybean plot just got mowed to the biz, just mowed right down. So I've got to decide whether or not we've got awesome soil moisture in there right now. It's we got another inch and a, inch and a half of rain on it. We've got a really good stubble and duff layer on it, mulch layer over top of it. So the soil moisture on that plot is exceptional. The question now is, what do I do? Do I go in there to try to put more soybean on it and then go fence it? knowing full well the deer are hitting it now and, and they're camped out and a couple of them are really nice bucks I mean that's the or I may just go in there I may I don't know don't quote me on this but I may just go ahead and get a 50 pound bag of bird you know uh, bird seed sunflowers you know the black oil sunflower seed and just take that 50 pound bag and just drill the bejeebas out of that thing have it just pop up in a bunch of sunflowers knowing darn well the deer are just going to mow the bejeebas out of it but the sunflowers do the, the sunflowers that do make it to where they get a little bit bigger stature, the deer will still nibble on them, but it'll get some cover in there. It'll get some vertical structure, and then I can put maybe a cool season in late. I don't know. I, I'm at a loss right now. I'm, I'm debating in my head what I want to do. This is the second time this has happened where, the, where I've, I've anticipated agriculture, tried to get away with something. The agriculture falls through. And the deer just, I mean, they find mine and just descend like the plague. Fool me once, fool me twice. Mm. So that's going to change. So the soybean plot, that's done. The corn plot, this one absolutely just baked my noodle because there's some challenges with the Genesis 3 on drilling corn. All right. It does a good good. It does a good job with it, but is not specifically designed to optimize doing it, all right? It's not as good as a, as a corn planter, all right? But it does a good job, but there's some finesse to it. I'll talk about all the finesse in a different video. The thing that I was not anticipating, it's four acres. It ended up being about four acres total of corn. On one side of the plot is about 80 acres of soybean, 
actively growing soybean and the soybean are doing awesome. On the other side of the plot uh, is about 200 and some odd acres of soybean and the soybean are doing awesome. All right. I thought now, okay, with corn, you will hear people talk all the time. If you want to plant corn, go big. Most of the time they'll say minimum five acres, but really you ought to have eight to probably you ought to have 10 acres of corn if you want corn to do well and provide the amount of of food that you want. And the reason being is if you think deer will put away corn, especially in the winter, they they will pack away some corn. So if you've got a pile of deer out there in that cornfield, on that corn plot, utilizing it, you're going to need a lot of corn. You want a lot of production. So you need the acreage and you want high productivity corn as well. Well, this particular plot, because we had so much soybean around, I thought, man, this would be this this should work very well because we're going to have a whole bunch of soybean around, which the deer are going to pound, they're going to hammer. I'll plant the corn; it'll be four acres, just shy of five acres. It ended up being, the way I drilled it; it ended up being about four acres. I'll plant it. The soybeans already developed. The deer are already spread out. They're already hitting the soybean. I can come in here and put the corn in between it. The, co- the way the, the, temp- the soil moisture and the temperature was, that stuff ought to just pop and just explode. That stuff comes up. Awesome. We'll have a corn plot in the middle of it. Now, you start talking about putting a hot, vo- uh, you know, the hot zone style fence, the three-dimensional fence around five acres. That's a lot of fence posts. That's a, it, that's a lot of fiberglass posts. That's a lot of steel. Whatever you want to do. That's a lot of fence posts. And that's a lot of tape. That's a lot of tape. All right. So that's a spendy little endeavor to fence that whole thing off. And it's a project to fence the whole thing off. My gamble was we've got soybean on both sides. Complete. The deer do not have to engage that corn plot at all. Well, the one thing I overlooked... I did not, okay, let me just tell you, I did not over, I, uh, yeah, I did. I overlooked this portion of it. Okay, so, the, the, the place that I planted the corn is the place on the map that the deer want to be. They just do. They love this particular chunk of ground. They love this edge of the field. So what it is is I've I've got the south edge of the field, and then there's a five-acre little portion, lower portion. I took that five-acre lower portion and planted it into corn. The farmer planted everything else into soybean. The deer love this side of the field. They love to be down on this edge of the field, and they love that little five-acre chunk. I planted the corn there because I know in the winter, okay, this is adjacent to a sanctuary area, okay? So keep this in mind for you food plotters and you wildlife managers. Don't forget year-round. I I just, I didn't, I didn't extend my thought process far enough. Here's what I mean by that. Knowing that the deer want to be on this side of the field and they love that little five-acre chunk, my mind went like this. We need to have corn in that five-acre chunk adjacent to the sanctuary area so that way we have corn. 
in there in December. And I was going to let that corn stay standing in December. So that way when we have our rifle season start in I don't run very many rifle hunts. I use my properties as sanctuary areas so when everybody else in the in the county around us starts bang bang banging, pushing draws, you know, pushing out creek bottoms and rocket pheasant hunters start all that activity all those animals pile in on us. And they do. And we've and now that we're in year five, this is year five or six. 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 We're five years of active management, six years of the hunter management. Okay. We have deer that have grown up on our properties now that are mature bucks that, that this is this is all that they've ever known. This is their life. They, they don't know any other cycle other than the management cycle that I've put in place. And so they know that this is where they need to go come rifle season. And I wanted to make sure that we had corn on the landscape because the two different landowners that, that, I, that are on either side of this p- parcel, just the way the odds were about the, co- the, the crop rotation, they got synchronized, and so they're both growing soybean. Rather than one soybean, one corn, they're both soybean. So we did not have a corn component on the landscape. So I said, I want this five acres to be corn because this is where they want to be in the winter. It's also where they want to be in the summer. Well, my thought was, you've got 200 and some odd acres of soybean right there. You've got 80 acres of soybean right over there. You've got so much awesome food, they shouldn't want to hammer the corn. Eh. Wrong answer. What have they done? The little crappers come out and they literally come out and nip off the corn, chunk, 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 before they go out to the soybean. I mean, I literally have row upon row upon row upon row of corn that they just chunk, 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 chunk. They haven't taken the whole plant, but they've taken the bulk of all the leaves. So the corn came up, started to leaf out. You ever, have you ever walked through uh, a, a field of tall grass? And you got that long stem, that long seed hem, and you, you grab it and you pull it out. And you got that light green soft end down there and you ever chew on it and it's kind of sweet. Okay, well that's the thing. That is what's going on with corn down in there. When it's just starting, that's juicy and sweet. Now, it does not have the nutritional equivalent of soybean not by a long shot but it's sweet and it's juicy and it's like ice cream apparently they've got the meat and potatoes out there but that doesn't mean they're not going to stop and they're going to nibble it's just the amount of deer that have gone out there and i mean it's like they camp on the corn first for a while and then go out to the soybean and mill it out in the soybean all night long and then in the morning rather than just going I mean they have literally what is it a half mile of field edge that goes into prime bedding <laughs> rather than scattering across that whole thing they're funneling through my corn plot 
Oh well, it is what it is. So I should offense that I should offense that off. I don't know. Maybe it's just timing. It's what Kelly, you were, Kelly, and I were talking about it again. I'm not. I'm not complaining just to complain. I'm. I'm. Compl- I'm. I'm telling you this. So think about these things when you're when you're food plotting. I. I you know, best laid plan. I, th- I thought for sure the soybean would be more of a draw and would pull them. And given the fact that there's so much of it out there and it's so spread out that the corn in four acres that's big enough you know uh, it, that should be fine that corn should get a good start and the deer should hammer the soybean well there are people out there that talk about planting corn for an early fall attraction plot they will plant corn extremely dense in august or even in september if it's warm enough Knowing full well the corn will not come up and the will not, it will not, well, let me rephrase that. The corn will not produce an ear, okay? It won't go to seed. It won't produce an ear of corn. It's just going to produce vegetative matter. The point is they're planting it purely because they want that small, green, succulent, sweet, tasty shoot to be an attraction plot. For early season. That's exactly what this ended up being. They are so well off. They are so fat and happy that they're just wandering around. And they're like, eh, we're going to nibble on this too. And they just have all funneled through that little five acre chunk, that four acre corn plot, and just nibbled the bejeebas out of it. The corn's doing fine, it's coming up. But they've removed so much leaf material now that I don't know if we're going to be able to, because I had to plant it late because we, it was so wet in that field, I couldn't get it in early enough. I planted it the last week. It was June, June 26th, I believe, if I remember right. It had to go in late because the field was just too darn wet this year to get in there any earlier. We knew that we were starting off with a challenge to begin with. I thought, I thought... The soybeans next to it that were well-established and the deer were already hit and, and keyed in on the soybeans. I thought that was going to provide me cover, if you will, that it wasn't going to touch my corn. Didn't happen. So here we are faced with the, with the reality of, okay, so now what do we do? Well, I have some short-duration short duration corn. We have ex- just awesome soil moisture out there right now still. I think I'm going to go out there this afternoon. I'm going to drill it. I'm going to drill it, but I'm going to drill it heavy. I'm going to drill it dense, a lot denser than what I normally should or, do, or did before. I'm going to drill that baby, and we're going to see. I might, I might try to fence it off. I don't know, but I just may drill that thing dense, let the deer go through and eat some of it, I'm going to leave the stuff that is doing well, but there's a there's a whole, the stuff that's up next to the soybeans just got hammered. I think I'm just going to take, I've got a whole bunch of short season corn. I think I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to drill the, just, just drill it. Just drill it heavy. Just drill it heavy. See what happens. At the very least, I'll have corn stubble. I'll have some cover. I'll have some growth there that will provide some good cover and if it does not this all this all this seed that i got came for free 
It was a whole bunch of stuff that I got from a buddy of mine that works at Ag Services here. They had a whole bunch of extra uh, plot corn. I'm going to go through, I'm going to give it a test, and we're going to see what it does. Why not? It's not going to cost me, except it's the only thing it's going to cost me is a little bit of fuel from the Ranger. That's it. So I'm going to drill this stuff heavy. Just drill it right in and go. Let's just see what happens. It'll at least grow vegetatively, and it'll give me some vertical cover that come winter the deer can utilize and feel safe in. And if this win, if it doesn't produce an ear, and I've got to go to my landowner, or I've got to look, go to the local co-op and say, okay, I need 500 bushel of corn, and we scatter out across, I will do meaningful supplemental feeding certain years for strategic purposes. This would be one. Again, we don't normally hunt during rifle over our, a lot of, anywhere near our sanctuary here. So I very well may, if we don't produce ears of corn in here, I very well may utilize that stubble and then just go in and just broadcast corn throughout the whole thing so they do have corn to feed on and the corn stubble is there it's just a two-step process rather than having the corn just produce a whole bunch or maybe we're going to find out okay corn short duration corn it's just frost dependent i have no idea what this fall is going to look like maybe we end up last fall was cold and wet but we really didn't have a frost until really late it was just cold and wet well as long as this corn gets up and it throws out a tassel and it starts producing an ear as long as it produces an ear and it doesn't frost out you know way late we might get lucky i don't know but i've got the seed i've got the ground what the heck why not mid-july let's test it out let's see what ends up happening got nothing to lose other than a couple hours of time and five gallons of fuel I can do that. So <laughs> this habitat stuff that this year has been an app, it's been an incredible learning curve for me because just changes on the landscape as far as agriculture, because of the weather, commodity prices have changed some things, deer movement, because our management has been doing so well, we have more deer in places where we didn't in the past. We have deer now circling through our properties when we you know now when we usually don't it just it's crazy it's it's awesome because i'm seeing the success of what we're doing it's frustrating because it seems like the goal the 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 rules of the game keep changing and the goalposts keep changing so as soon as i do one thing the deer respond but now that resets all of the things that i did before so now i've got to relearn how to what that's why I do lean so heavy on cool season plots. Cool season plots are so easy. You've got a lot less weed issues. They're so much more productive initially that the deer usually can't pound them down to the ground too bad, especially if you're using seri- like winter wheat or triticale or rye or whatever, any of that. Cool season plots are awesome. I've got them babies dialed in. I just really wanted a couple really high-quality summer plots. And so far, they haven't worked out the way I was hoping. Oh, well, it is what it is. So 
that literally is what I've been doing. I mean, and, and plus this morning, okay, I got out there and I sprayed a couple other ones. And, and again, I'm, I'm working on some other properties and helping them and consulting with them. Um, there's a lot of field work that needs to be done on that, on those sites. So it's just been crazy. It has been absolutely crazy and it's not going to stop because from here on out, I've got to get some, um, some, uh, box blinds put up or developed. I need to get a bunch of tree stands and put those up. I've got to do a couple of, um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I wanted to get out to Colorado again and do some summer video and doing some elk video on the, on the summer range again this year. Sure. Why not? I've got six weeks to do about three months worth of work. So yeah, should be, should be just fine. Um, but anyway, so that is what has been going on in my world. Let me bring up my notes. All right. So let me tackle, um, geez, oh Pete, and that's, just about an hour right there. You're going to have to get used to this, but you guys wanted long form discussions. <laughs> you got it. I'm not one known for, for being uh, short and sweet. So there's a, there's an hour. So let, let me, let's just dive into this, um, this particular topic, this question that came in about broadheads. Now the, the specific question was what broadhead do I recommend for elk? But I, I think I'm going, I'm going to tackle it from the idea of thinking about broadheads you might want to choose for elk or whitetails. Because I think some of the components that I'm going to talk about here and considerations that I'm going to talk about here can kind of span across the two, uh, two species. Hold on. I'm just getting my note thingamajig lined up here. Make sure I don't accidentally kill the recording. All right, here we go. All right. So best broadhead for elk. That question has asked, been asked so many different times in so many different ways, and so many people have answered it, what their opinions are. I don't think there is one. I, I really don't think there is the best broadhead for elk. And quite honestly, I don't think, even if you ask me what is my recommendation for a broadhead for elk, I don't think I'm going, I don't think I really feel comfortable giving you for instance, I have no problem recommending an Iron Will broadhead. I really don't. Iron Will Outfitters, I think, makes the best, one of, one of, one of the best fixed blade broadheads ever made, period, hands down. And if you want the most durable head and one of the sharpest heads, you will not find one. I don't think you're going to find one, okay? But is that the right head for you? I don't know. Likewise, some people love... And I love mechanical heads. But is that the right broadhead for you? I, I don't know. I can't answer that. Now, if you heard my discussion with Aaron Snyder, and, and Aaron, I, and I know Aaron has, has talked about this, so if you listen to the Kafaru cast, sorry, I've been out in the field, and so I, I sprayed down for ticks, and I've, 
I went and took a shower and I I did a little tick check, but I you just you spend your day out in tick places and then all of a sudden you feel something like ah. So and because now all of a sudden out here we have the the Lone Star ticks, the ones that carry that alpha gal uh, allergy that makes you allergic that can make you allergic to red meat. I've gotten a little bit more serious about my anti-tick measures. So anyway, sorry, I don't mean to be fidgeting. I'm just all of a sudden feels like something's crawling on me and I react. So anyway, you've heard, if you listen to the Kafaru cast podcast, you've probably heard Aaron talk about, uh, different broadheads and arrow setups and, and they're all sorts of equipment stuff for a while. There's a pile of other people that have talked about broadheads and equipment. And I talked with Aaron about broadheads. Um, and I, we, we kind of went back and forth, but because there, for a while there, it seemed like everybody was focused on penetration, penetration, penetration. However, I think there can be some considerations where maybe penetration isn't what you really need, and maybe you just want a gargantuan hole. All right, I'll get into that here in a second, more detail. But if you listen to that Kafaru cast uh, episode with, with Aaron, you'll, you'll get some, you've, you've probably heard some of what I want to tackle here, but I don't think we can chew. We, I don't think I can recommend a certain broadhead for anybody. And in fact, I think, okay, so, so, sorry, there's a lot of discussion that goes around, okay, how much kinetic energy or how much momentum are you shooting with your setup? Okay, so if you're a, a lady uh, or, or or a younger individual, shorter draw lengths, for whatever reason, show bad shoulders, for whatever reason, if you are shooting a traditional a, a compound or recurve, right, you know, we're not talking about crossbows right now, not yet. Okay, if you're talking about, and again, we're, we're going to couch this from a whitetail and elk or elk and whitetail type of scenario. The question came in about elk, but if you are throwing low energy out of your setup, the bow system has low, low-ish energy. And I'm not, okay, somebody's going to be saying, well, what does that mean? If you're shooting generally low poundage, I'm just going to say generally out there, just throw it out there, lower than, you know, in the mid-50s and under, you start getting to 60 pounds and and you can start doing some some things. But if you're in the mid-50s and under, or your draw length is extremely short, you know, 26 inches and under or whatever, or 27 and under or whatever, if your draw length is short and the kinetic energy and, and the momentum and the energy that your bow system is throwing is generally lower. People have talked all the time about, oh, maybe a, a mechanical style head is not what you want because you're it, in order to open a mechanical head, it's going to consume a bunch of your energy, your, the, the momentum of their arrow. And after that, you want the rest of the momentum to get inside that animal and do damage. Well, if you don't have a lot of momentum to begin with, and most of the momentum that you had, or a a good chunk of the momentum that you had, has been used up by opening that mechanical, you may get very piss-poor penetration. 
Okay, so if you're, use, you're, you're shooting moderate to low energy, maybe you want to go with a fixed blade broadhead so you're not having to utilize energy to open up that head. Okay, there's been a lot of discussion around that. But what I want to talk about is a couple of different things for you to consider. Before you choose what style of head that you want, I think we really need to, to explore three different things. One, what style of hunting are you do? Now, are you doing? Now, this one I'm, is really geared more towards elk. All right? What style of hunting are you doing? What number two? how you prefer to aim at animals, and that can go with elk or deer. And number three, how controlled and disciplined of a shooter are you? Those three things, I think, need to be considered, if not along with how much energy your system is throwing it may even need to be considered before you concern yourself with how much energy your system is throwing. And here, we're, let me show you why. All right, actually, let me let, let me just let me just go ahead and do this real quick. Let me put uh, number four energy of your system all right that way i've got my note i telling you otherwise we're just gonna be going all over the all over the freaking place all right so let me just do that bam got that note made save good deal all right we're in there so let's take them step by step okay so what style of hunting again this time we're talking this is largely going to be for elk okay what style of hunting are you doing and by that, what I'm talking about, are we... Uh, hold on, let me grab a drink. What I mean by that is, are you hunting like me? And are you a solo hunter? Meaning you are doing the calling and you're doing the shooting. Or are you hunting with a team? The two That, that classic, that two-person style, you know, type of setup. Or you've got a shooter and one or two or more callers in the back. All right? What style of hunting are you doing? And the reason why I I the reason why I want to know that is because it's going to it could, it absolutely could change or it flat out may dictate how that animal is going to come into your setup and approach you. If you are a solo hunter and you're doing the calling, it is not uncommon for that animal to be coming in and being a frontal shot or at least a quartering two scenario. Now, yes, I understand that you may be able to call that animal in, get him close, he's standing there, you move a little bit, he sp people you'll hear people talk all this time where the animal comes close gets in close and you can draw your bow the animal might spook a little bit 
but he'll trot, 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 and in a turn, and a lot of times they will. They'll turn, and they may turn broadside, or they may turn, and they may be quartering away from you, and then thwack, you can shoot, and you get a broadside shot or or a lar- you know a quartering away shot. Sorry, my face is just itching. Um, yes, you can do that. But a lot of times, solo hunters are faced with quartering to or frontal shots, all right? Versus if you're going to have people calling those animals to you, you're going to be the shooter and someone's going to be calling for you. If they're an experienced caller and you get your setup right, hopefully, technically, the theory is that they're calling that elk past you. They're calling it by you, meaning the odds of you getting a broadside shot are higher. That's the whole point one of the whole points behind that two-person style setup. A, so the bull doesn't, you know, the elk. Let's just say elk. I know most people are bull hunting, but we've got a bunch of cow hunters on here as well. So elk, you've got the elk coming past you. So they, A, they're not hanging up out of range, number one. Number two, and we talk about that in the CU first principle, but regardless, in the doorway, blah, blah, blah. But calling them past you to the, you know, they're going to the collar and the shooter's going to snipe them in between. Okay. Well, oftentimes you're going to get more of an opportunity at a broadside shot. Well, if you are dealing with a broadside shot, you have the opportunity to be shooting at a target that has less potential bone density than perhaps a quartering two. Now, a frontal, other people have talked about it. You know my, a lot of you know my thoughts on it. I love the frontal shot. I will take a frontal shot all day long if it's under, if it's under 20 yards. And I want that elk relaxed. I don't want it. There's a whole bunch of caveats to go with a frontal shot, but the frontal shot is absolutely deadly. If you hit that animal correctly on a frontal shot, it is nothing but soft tissue. You've got hide of the neck. You've got the muscle tissue around the esophagus and trachea. And then that's it. It's just going in and it's it's going into that esophagus and trachea. And it's just diving into that chest cavity, going right down the top, either through the top of the heart or cutting all the bronchial tubes off the top. You know, or, or, sorry, the arteries coming off, the, the um, main arterial vessels going out of the heart. It's lopping those. It's going and you know going right through the bronchial tubes and and cutting off all going through the lung. I mean, it's just doing massive damage right now, and you're not hitting bone. You're not hitting bone. If you do hit bone, you might be hitting the front part of those ribs. Now, that can be a little stout, but if it's a true frontal shot and you shoot correctly and you hit correctly. It's nothing but net. I mean, it's just soft tissue. And you oftentimes can throw the biggest honking mechanical head into that spot and get great penetration. However, you are also oftentimes faced with a likelihood it's going to be a quartering shot. That animal is slightly quartering to you, which means you may need to be crowding the front part of that shoulder the knuckle of that shoulder and that leg bone. Those are big honking bones. And 
that's also where the rib cage starts coming together. And so if you're if you those ribs are spaced apart, and yes, you can slip an arrow between the ribs, typically when they're broadside, but when they're quartering to you, the realized spacing between those ribs is much smaller. Okay, so if I've got an opening of two inches that's broadside, but I take that opening and I put it right straight at you, almost straight at you, effectively the only the opening is only a quarter of an inch or half an inch or whatever. You've got a lot of bone there. So if you've got a quartering shot and that's the shot that you have at you and that's the shot you want to take, which is still a deadly shot if you get good penetration, you have to understand that you need a head that's going to be maximized for penetration, not necessarily a gargantuan hole. You can't have both you, most of the time, especially, again, if you're those people that are, are running a lower kinetic energy or lower momentum setup. Now, if you're shooting 80 pounds and you're shooting a super heavy arrow and all that stuff, well, maybe you can get away with a lot. But now you're talking about if you want to throw a big mechanical through that, are those blades of that big mechanical beefy enough to not shear off and break going in? A lot of times, no. Most of the mechanicals these days, no. Especially the big mechanicals. You're going to shear those blades off. So most of the time, if you're a solo hunter, like I am, and you are oftentimes faced with a frontal or a quartering two shot, maybe you just don't even worry about technically maybe a mechanical and you just focus on those type of heads that are a quality head that are best suited for high durability and deep penetration. Doesn't matter all the other stuff. The physical requirements of you getting an arrow into that that animal's body cavity dictates that you're going to have to go through bone or the odds are that you are likely going to go through heavy bone or could go through heavy bone. So you need to factor that and just say, okay, I need for this because of these things, I probably ought to lean towards a head that's geared towards high durability and high penetration. All right. But if you're the guy or gal that goes out there with a, a couple of other people and you are the designated shooter and that that animal is going to come by you, okay, well, now you have the opportunity to shoot into softer tissue. Maybe you slip it between the lungs, or excuse me, you slip it, you're going for a lung, double lung shot and you slip it between the ribs. Well, that's just, that's, again, nothing but net. That's just all soft tissue. Depending on the orientation of it and depending on the cutting the, the cutting diameter, if you're running moderate to heavy momentum, you absolutely can run a, a mechanical through that and just freaking put a hole in them, all right? What I talked about with Aaron was even with heads that are designed for maximum penetration, you're not always guaranteed an exit hole, okay? Now, if the animals, let's, let, let, again, if you follow me for a while, you know I love Iron Will heads. I absolutely love Iron Will Outfitters heads. They're expensive as sin. But they are just indestructible. And they've got a lifetime warranty. Okay, so if you do bend a blade and you can't sharpen it up, send it, they'll, they'll replace it. Okay, so they're expensive as sin, but they you get what you pay for. But they're a smaller head. 
They're not, they don't have a gargantuan cutting diameter, but they're made for penetration. So are they a head that I would recommend or that I would have any problems for recommending uh, for a frontal or a quartering two? Oh, heck no. I, I use them for that. I love them for that. However, if, if that animal is walking broadside to you and you are going to go for a double lung shot and hit just nothing but net and just all soft tissue, and that's, by the way, if you, I don't even you can hear it, we do small town at 6 o'clock, so we have the, new, the, the, the 6 o'clock whistle going off. I don't know if you can hear it or not. If not, great. If you do, that's what that was. So if you're just going to zip it through their, their ribs and you're going to go through soft tissue, that iron will head is going to go through that animal almost as fast as it came out of your bow. It is going to zip through there, gone. It isn't even going to remotely slow down, which means your arrow, hopefully you're you're using a lighted knock because that arrow's gone. That arrow's going out that other side so fast, it's going to travel, all right? Hopefully you bury it in a tree where you can find it, but otherwise that arrow's gone, all right? You don't, it's a good head and it will perform flawlessly for you. But you don't necessarily need that head for that application. You very well could get away with a, uh, or sorry, you could. My point being, okay, sorry, I lost track of my point there. But, but if that elk is slightly quartering away and maybe you shoot and you catch, the arrow goes in, beautiful quartering shot, and that arrow goes and catches the offside shoulder knuckle square in the, I mean, dead 12 rings, that knuckle bone. Again, unless you are rocking some serious momentum and energy, that arrow's going to stop like, I mean, it's just going to, it'd be like running into a concrete wall. Whop! You got full penetration. You got a great full penetration hit. But you just ran a smaller head through that animal, which means your blood trail is not going to be as much as it would be if you had two, you know, an entrance and an exit, number one, and it's not going to be as much as you, as it would be if you threw a, a, a larger diameter, a larger cutting diameter head fixed or otherwise through it. That entrance hole, because you only have one hole, now that entrance hole is every, that's your whole world. That's everything. That entrance hole is what you are going to rely on to to empty that animal blood, his blood or her blood, onto the ground to where you can, unless you see them fall, you need to follow a blood trail. The bigger the hole going in, the more blood you got coming out. Obviously, two holes are better than one, but if you only have one, my argument is I would rather a bigger one, okay? So... In the in when we're talking about the Iron Will, I love that head and I love that company. However, you're not always guaranteed an exit. Like, okay, case in point. Let's use the, the I've got a video. The elk I shot in Colorado a couple years ago. I shot that elk. It went in front of the the onside shoulder and it went literally the length of that animal and it literally lodged under the hide and the tip of the broadhead just poked out of his hide on his rear hind quarter. The rear of his offside hind quarter. It literally went stem to stern. 
but I did not have an exit hole. All I had was one, the entrance hole, which was smaller. Now, there was there blood? Yes, but there was not a lot of it. Why? I was on a very steep slope. And that slope was covered in a whole bunch of tall grass that was still growing. When I shot, that elk spun and literally launched each individual hoof impact where, where, he, where he just took off down that hill. The spacing between his hoof tracks, goodness gracious, they, they were quite far apart. Now, they were very visible but they were very far apart. He was just launching down that hill. He went down there maybe 80 yards, button, 60 to 80 yards, button hooked around, got onto a bench, stood there, and just literally fell over. He was dead within seconds. But his reaction to my shot, just a violent reaction, he spun and just, because he was looking right at me. I mean, he's seven, 14, 17, 17 yards, I think that one, looking right at me, and I just, he just ate it. I just fed it to him. Just, boom, done. So he saw me shoot, and he felt it hit, and he just vi reacted violently, spun, launched, got down a little ways, turned and stopped, and just, boom, done. But my trailing, and the reason why you saw on that video I waited the full 30 minutes is because I walked up there, I didn't find my arrow, and I didn't find any blood initially. All I saw were hoof tracks in the dirt, in, you know, in the in the ground. I'm like, I'm gonna back out, make sure it was a good hit. It looked like a good hit. Want to make sure it was a good hit. I waited 30, started, looked for my arrow for about. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, couldn't find the arrow. I'm like, okay, it's it's got to be still in him. And then I started trailing him. I was mostly following his tracks to start until I got down a little bit closer to him, and then there's the blood. Here we go. Now I'm blood, blood, okay, blood, tracks, tracks, track. Oh, there's some blood, tracks. Oh, there's the bull. There was a blood trail, but it was not the type of blood trail that you'd get from a large diameter, say, three-blade cut on, you know, fixed-blade broadhead or a, a rage tripan or hypodermic or whatever. Small entrance holes, If you, you're never guaranteed an exit hole. So if you're in a situation where you may end up not having an exit, maybe, and, and, it is likely that most of your shots are going to be geared towards shooting the soft tissue, hide and muscle. Maybe you'll catch a, a rib. Maybe. Then, in that, and especially if you're running medium to heavy kinetic energy or, or just momentum, well, in that case, then maybe it is better to choose a mechanical. Or a, a three or four blade fixed blade head that has a large cutting diameter. Put a freaking hole in them. At least put a big freaking honking hole going in. And then if you've got enough and you just if you just you catch no bone and it's just all soft tissue, it just blows out the other side. Now you've got a big honking hole going in and you've got a big honking hole going out. You got blood going everywhere, golden. All right? So 
the angle of that animal has a lot to do with your shot opportunities and what type of structure you're going to hit to where do you choose a, a head that is generally geared for durability and penetration or do you choose a head that is geared for just gargantuan holes, mechanical or otherwise? I don't know. Evaluate that for yourself. Are you a solo hunter or do you generally go out there as a team? If you are a solo hunter and you're doing what I teach on here, are you seeing the type of, of scenario or uh, experiences I am in where you've got a lot of the frontal and quartering too? Okay. Are you the guy that's a solo, but you, you still say, no, I will not take a frontal shot. No, I will not take a quartering two. I, I need them broadside or I want them broadside. Or you're, you're running lower poundage, shorter draw length, where you probably ought to maybe stick with those soft tissue style hot, you know, stay away from heavy bone. And you want to kind of maybe go towards more soft tissue, maybe quartering away shots. Okay. Evaluate that. The second one is, oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, let me, before I leave that, before I leave that, here's the other one. What style of calling are you actually doing? Now, I'm going to be brutally blunt. Are you following what I'm teaching here or are you following what Corey does? The born and raised guys do. Dirk Durham does. Anybody else that's out there with a heavy bugling strategy. I don't care if you do. That's fine. You know my philosophy on the heavy bugling strategies versus what I teach. <coughs> All right? You know that. But the relevant point is, well, I get, let me, two, two things. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear people come up to me and they're like, oh, Chris, I love the elk module. Oh, I love your stuff. And man, blah, blah, I use your stuff all the time. Blah, blah. So I was out last, you know, hunting last year and I, you know, I got on these bulls and I, and I, where I ripped out a challenge bugle out of it. I mean, as soon, if you're going to walk up to me and tell me, that you love my stuff and that you follow all of my stuff and then you it, uh, the word challenge bugle comes out of your mouth i know right then and there you use some of what i talk about all right you do not hear me talk about challenge bugles i don't think they exist we'll talk about that concept in a very short coming upcoming video all right i don't think they exist Likewise, if you tell me that you were out there and you were using those estrus mews, I'm out. No, you weren't using what I'm talking about. Now, that's not saying that you weren't putting something like the doorway principle, see you first, hear you second, all that. Again, I'm not criticizing you. I, I, I understand there's a lot of other resources out there, and I absolutely recommend you utilizing them all. But don't come up to me and say, oh, man, I love what you talk about challenge bugles because there's you weren't looking at me. You weren't talking with you weren't watching my stuff. That was someone else. All right. Let's just just own it. It doesn't matter. 
that if you want to use a bugling strategy, use a bugling strategy. If you want to follow what those guys do on, you know, Born and Raised or, or Corey or Dirk, or uh, uh, d- go for it. Do it. Fine. It can be successful. However, if you went to the Denver, Denver ISC show or if you went to the, the seminar I just did in Kansas City, and quite honestly, I very well may do one here in Denver coming up. And I will put this in a video here. <laughs> just why not? It's just one more of those con- one more of the topics. What I talked about were the consequences of the strategies we choose out in the field. We always think when we're getting ready for season and we think about getting ready to go hunting, we always envision ourselves being successful. We just do. That's just the way it is. We're like, okay, we're going to go do this, and the bull's going to come in. Oh, he's right. Whack. Yeah. In our mind, we're successful. But when we get out in the field, really, how often is that the case? 10%? 20% of the time? Even me. Okay? I'm not every single time. I, I, I have a very high percentage rate, but it's not 100%. All right? So there are consequences to the strategies we choose to employ while we're calling. Okay. Are you utilizing the passive strategy that I talk about or the targeted strategy that I talk about? Maybe an aggressive strategy, but are you, especially the targeted. Are you leaning, are you starting off with cow vocalizations? Doesn't No, skip that. Skip that. Doesn't matter. Are you utilizing a targeted strategy generally and are you set up within the doorway? If you are utilizing what I talk about with cow vocalizations or even bull vocalizations, and you're using that passive or targeted strategy, generally speaking, I, I lean heavy on targeted strategies. If you're utilizing a targeted strategy and you're utilizing the vocalizations I talk about the way I talk about them, and you've you've gotten yourself that animal's there. He's coming. He or she's coming. And you've ide- you've taken the time to identify the doorway or the most likely potential doorway or two, and you've set up there. Is that what you are doing? Because if that is what you are doing, then regardless of whether we're talking about a frontal shot, a quartering two shot, or whether you want to wait for a broadside shot, oftentimes. The way I call, that animal's going to be relaxed. They're going to be coming in curious. And they're going to naturally pause on their own, calm, relaxed, whatever adjective you want to chill. I don't care. But they're going to come in oblivious to anything wrong. And they're going to walk in and they're going to stand relaxed in front of you. And if every, if you've done everything that you need to do correctly by getting your bow drawn back, they're just going to stand there and eat it. All right? Versus two-person caller setup, but you're using a, a heavy, uh, an aggressive stuff. And I don't care if it's bugling or aggressive cow calling. There's consequences to aggressive strategies. If you're using an aggressive strategy or you're using a heavily bugling focused strategy and you're not focusing on the doorway, understand that a lot of those bulls, 
just by the very nature of most of us. Now, some of us are going to have draw, you know, limited entry units where we have a higher propensity to have a mature animal in front of us. Or maybe we're in these remote areas where we actually have the likelihood that we could be engaging a four, five, six-plus-year-old elk bull. I'm talking about a bull here, okay? An older age class bull that might be a little smart. But a lot of us are going and hunting over the counter areas, general areas, that we're engaging a two and a half to maybe three and a half year old bull. All right. They still have psychological needs from a safety blanket standpoint. And they are not the, the guys that are on the running on the landscape running around. We can talk about, maybe we'll save that for the challenge bugle you know, discussion. Everybody wants it, wants the sexy. Everybody wants to talk about all oh, that bull came in charging in looking for a fight. Really? Did he? We're gonna talk. We're gonna jump into the hunt companion. I'm not gonna tell you what the hunt. You're gonna have to wait for the hunt. The hunt companion is gonna be fun. It's gonna it's gonna chap some hind ends. Let me just put it that way. There's gonna be some people bent out of shape. There's gonna be some grumpy people. But it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a fun series. All right. We'll save that discussion for later. But. You watch some of the videos that you see out there on YouTube, that you watch on the full, you know, full draw film tour, that you watch on TV. You watch those videos of those aggressive strategies, and you watch how that bull comes in. Don't give me this crap about him charging in and looking for a fight. You watch the ear position, head position, neck position, shoulder position. How is that animal coming in? Are they coming in relaxed, head down, just plodding along? Or is their head up? Are they seeking? Are they looking? Ears forward, eyes searching. Are they looking? And how many of these, when you're doing a two-person style call, or you got a shooter and a callers in the background, how many of those are the shooter, or sorry, the callers 80, 100 yards behind the shooter, and then the shooter and the cameraman are here, and they're trying to get a shot 40 yards at an elk, did that? Did they really? Did was that really a call in? Because that elk, that elk is what 140, 150 yards from the actual callers. What and and watch how that bull is coming in. Is he on edge? Is he is he is he nervous? Is he swinging around? What? How many of them will sit there and say, "Oh my! Oh, he's, he's swinging around! He's swinging around! He's swinging around!" Yes, he's swinging around. Because what he hear, what he's hearing doesn't make sense. Or he's worried about it. Again, bugling. We could talk about the bugling. I talk about it in the bugle understanding bull vocalization series. Go back and watch the dominant at least the dominant bugles videos. If not, the contact bugles. Alright? We know what bugles are saying. We know how how elk are wanting or typically respond to bugles. And so if you are sounding like a bull and another bull and a younger age class bull is curious enough to want to come in and check you out, yes, it is in their best interest so that they don't get their butt whooped. It is in their best interest to swing around you and go downwind. See you first, hear you second, smell you third. Okay? But that is from a communication standpoint. From a safety standpoint, it is just the opposite. Smell you first. So there's consequences to our strategies. How are you, you need to evaluate yourself and your group? 
Critically, are you leaning heavy on what I teach and then supplementing with what you see somewhere else? Or do you want the sexy? Are you going out there and watching what's on YouTube and going, man, I'm going to freaking blow, I'm going to blow, I'm going to bugle, <laughs> bugle him, baby. Okay, if that's you, <coughs> that's fine. Understand that is what you want to do. Understand that the elk are likely going to react a very certain way and a very different way than if you do what I typically do that you see in the videos with the targeted strategy and, and using the vocalizations, what I I would say strategically, all right? They're going to act differently. Meaning, if that animal is coming in and he's relaxed or he or she is relaxed, then you're oftentimes more likely to be able to put that arrow right in the soft pocket that you want to shoot into. If it's a frontal, you can make a great frontal shot and nothing, like I said, nothing but net, raw, soft tissue right down the gut, just right smack down there and just bury it. Awesome. If you want to take a quartering shot, you can, you know where you need to aim and bam, you can stick it right in there. If you want to wait for a broadside shot, the animal comes in, stops, stands there, looks, you can just settle, whap, and you can make a great controlled, beautiful shot. However, oftentimes... If you're using a bugle or an aggressive strategy or whatever with a, with another group, you know, somebody else is calling or whatever, and those elk are swinging around or going by you or they're swinging, A, they may be moving to where you have to stop them. And if you stop them, then they're obviously they're going to stop and they look and they're going to be on edge. Okay, they're going to react to the shot. And you may have an animal that is, you, you have no idea what orientation that animal is going to be in. <clears throat> which means are you going to be able to, to to put an arrow in that nice soft spot and, and miss all the bone? I don't know. Go back over and look at your scenarios. Watch the videos. Watch the YouTube videos and watch the scenarios that they're in and the shot opportunities that they have and see what angles and distances and, and orientations and how much brush are they shooting through and all that. Evaluate how you're calling. Because it is going to impact how the elk, the animal, comes into your setup. And that is going to impact shot angle and how relaxed that animal is in front of you and whether or not it's going to give you plenty of time to make a good shot right where you want to be. Or whether you're going to feel rushed or you need to be rushed to be able to take a shot, capitalize on a shot, or you need you need to vocalize or do something to stop that animal, which oftentimes puts them on edge and, and now they can react a little bit more violently to a shot, right? If you are utilizing what I'm saying and you're dealing with more calm and relaxed animals, you might be able to get away with maybe a mechanical or a large cutting diameter head if you think that you're going to have more time to be able to pick a shot and go in through soft tissue. However, if you have no idea how that elk is coming in, you have no idea what angle that elk is going to be at, you have no idea how fast you need to be able to make a shot. Maybe you need to poke it through some grass or, or small ferns or, you know, fern limbs or, you know, for palm, whatever you want to call it, front, you know, 
you know, the little leafy stuff on a fern or, you know, small branches. What If you need to poke a shot through because that animal's not necessarily where you think he ought to be, he or she ought to be, and it's, and it's out there at distance, then maybe you need to be going with a fixed blade head that is geared towards maximum penetration. So that way, it doesn't matter where you hit in that chest cavity, you can hopefully get a good full penetration through there to where you're getting at least a double long hit. Regardless of whether the broadhead comes out the other side, at least you get a good double long hit or you get enough penetration to get into that at least one lung in that heart area. Okay? So how you call can have a big impact on literally what broadhead I might recommend for you or that you should choose for yourself. All right? Now, with that said, here's the second one. How do you, you, yourself, personally, how do you prefer to aim at the animals that you're shooting at? What do I mean by that? Here it is. Ask yourself this question. Do you like to tuck it right in tight into what a lot of people call the triangle? Okay? So, from your perspective, all right, imagine this being a... This is the shoulder blade of an animal. This line right here is the leg bone. Okay? So, right here, the heel of my palm... For those that are just listening, I've, I've got my hand flattened out. So I've got all my four fingers together, my hand flat, my thumb extended out to the side as much as I possibly can. The heel, the outside heel away from my thumb, the, out, the opposite side of my thumb, the outside base of my palm, where it, right before it butts up against my wrist, that's the, the knuckle bone. Say that's the, the shoulder, the knuckle bone of the shoulder. That line from the knuckle bone of the shoulder out through my thumb, that's the leg bone. And then if I just draw a straight line down from the tip of my thumb, that's the typical, that, that quintessential, that elbow. You know, you, you, you go up from the elbow, follow that little crease up a little bit. You know, okay, people talk about, all right, so, so there's, your, there's your anatomy, there's your leg. A lot of people will talk about the triangle, and that is the pocket, this pocket here, between the knuckle of the shoulder to the tip of the elbow underneath the shoulder blade. There's a lot of muscle there, but that's where the, I mean, all your brachial, your bronchial tubes are, where, where your lung, all those branches are, the beginning part of the lung, all those are. You've got your heart, you know, the, the artery, main arteries of the heart coming in and out of there. I mean, that's just, that triangle can be awesome. But you are flirting. If you're off a couple inches, you're flirting with heavy bone. There are some people that love to shoot, that love to crowd that shoulder, that love to crowd those bones, they love to shoot in the triangle. Conversely, there are a lot of people <clears throat> that when you're talking to them, <clears throat> and maybe it's even you, excuse me, <clears throat> maybe it's even you, a lot of people will say, Man, I, I, I just want to, I want to stay away from that shoulder. I don't, don't want to hit that shoulder. I, I like to stay away from that shoulder. The reason why that's, that's critical for me is because anytime I hear somebody say that I want to stay away from that shoulder, a lot of times that means 
whether it's consciously or subconsciously, <clears throat> if we draw, again, we come up that leg to the elbow, that little pocket, you'll hear people say, come up that leg, go two, three, four inches above that elbow into that little pocket, and that's where you, okay. If you are the type of person that says, I, I want to stay away from that shoulder, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, a lot of people start to drift that pin even back off of that even further. So they'll be more mid-body rather than towards the front of the chest. They'll be towards the back of the chest rather than the front of the chest. If that's you, <clears throat> well, here's the thing. Now, typically, those type of people, well, I can't even say that because I've seen people, okay, a quartering two shot. If the, if the animal's quartering to you, depending on the angle, I've seen people that say, I want to stay away from that shoulder. Shoot as if that animal was broadside, meaning let's just let's start broadside. Okay. So they'll the animal's perfectly broadside. You come up the back of that front leg where that little elbow is, where the crease is, and you come up a couple inches and blink, that's where, you know, quote unquote, that's where you want to shoot. All right. I'm not saying that is, but that's where people oftentimes will will talk about. Okay, well, you come up a couple inches and boom, that's where you're gonna shoot. Well, if that a lot of people will aim from there or maybe even a little back from there because they're worried about hitting bone. Well, the problem is, is the lungs do not, and this is for deer and elk, the lungs don't necessarily go back much further behind that elbow. And especially, that is especially true if that animal has been feeding a whole bunch. Their stomach, you think about gutting an animal. You have the lungs, but then you have the diaphragm. What's right on the backside of that diaphragm? The liver and the stomach. Now, depending on the angle and the elevation, yes, you may hit the liver. But if they have been feeding all night long, and they have a full stomach. That stomach, that it's that first chain, that that first chain chamber ends up being like a hay bale. It's full of vegetation, but that vegetation, it's going to push up against that diaphragm. It's going to limit the overall how much lung capacity you got in there. You literally will have the back. You can have the back part of the lobes of the lungs kind of flanking the outside edge of the stomach. Meaning, if you aim back away from the tip of the elbow and you go any more than even just a couple inches, if you go a few inches back, you're either going to hit the liver and go into the stomach. Or if you do hit the lungs, you're going to hit the back portion of the lobe of the lung. You're not going to go through the center part of the lung. You're going to hit the back portion of the lobe of the lung and then into the stomach. That elk's going to go a long way if you ever recover it. I have also seen those people that say, I want to stay away from the shoulder. Aim at the same spot regardless if the animal is quartering to them. 
So if the animal's quartering, quartering to them a little bit, they still will go up that back of that leg, find that little pocket, and then go a couple inches behind it. The problem is, is the angle. Now, that arrow may not even go into the lung. You won't even go into the chest cavity. It may just go through the side and go right through the diaphragm and just go right into the stomach and go right into one liver or, or uh, right into the liver, into the stomach. If you are the type of person that says, I want to stay away from that shoulder, then what you are saying by default is that you like going you don't like going near heavy bone and you like staying a little bit more towards that softer material. Well, if that's the case, in, unless you're, we're going to hit number three here in a minute. If that is the case, <clears throat> then you are running the risk of going into liver and stomach material. Even if you catch a portion of the lungs, you are running a risk of hitting guts and liver. If that is the case, I'm going to tell anybody that tells me I like to stay away from that shoulder, fine. Then you need to throw a freaking monster head. You need to throw the biggest fixed blade cutting diameter, you know, biggest cutting diameter fixed blade head that you can accurately send, or you need to run a mechanical. If you have enough momentum and energy in your bow setup, you need to run a big honking me mechanical. Because if you from your perspective and your shot preference, if you quote unquote 12 ring that animal and you hit exactly where you want to hit, maybe you come right up that back of that leg and you go a couple inches and boom, you double lung him right there. Well, great. Uh, a gargantuan hole going into that animal. If you get one or two, it doesn't matter, but a big honking entrance hole going that animal, you're going to get a lot of blood. You're going to get a lot of great blood trail. You should follow that. You should be able to recover that animal. If you get double lung, you're going to you're going to recover that animal. Number one, number two, more importantly, if you inadvertently hit farther back than what you thought you were going to do, and you go and you hit the liver or you get into that gut pocket, again, you're never get my opinion. You're never guaranteed an exit. You're never guaranteed an exit hole. And if you hit that hay bale of a full stomach, you're most likely not going to get an exit hole. I don't care if you're using an iron wheel or not. You're most likely not going to get an exit hole. In this case, that entrance hole is what you are going to be hanging your hat on and you need every ounce of drop of blood that you can get, number one. Number two, you need the biggest hole to dump and just drop as just evacuate as much blood as possible so if you hit them in the liver they're gonna bleed out they're gonna die the more blood that most 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 likely if you hit the liver solidly they're most likely going to die the bigger of a honking hole you can put in them as that arrow's going in the more likely you're gonna have blood on the ground to follow number one number two the blood is going to be of copious amounts to where you're going to be able to very accurately identify, man, that's kind of like really deep red, kind of almost dark red type blood. That kind of likes like like liver blood. You'll be able to identify it. And number three, <clears throat> if you hit that liver and you put a big old honking hole in it, you're going to kill him quicker. And if it goes into the gut compa compartment, 
animals know if they get hit by the in their guts. And I, this is not friendly. This is not. This is this isn't Walt Disney stuff. It, it sucks. Okay, it sucks. We none of us want it. We hate it. None of us want it. But it happens. The more trauma you cause with your arrow going in, the faster that animal is going to feel sick, shut down, and bed down. If you put a little tiny hole into their guts, they're going to go a long honking way. They're going to die someday, but good luck recovering them. However, you throw... And I'm not endorsing this, but just a schwacker or a, a rage tripan or some other big honking cutting diameter mechanical in, into them and you whack those guts, they're going to feel sicker a lot quicker and bed down a lot quicker than they would with small hole. So evaluate that. How do you prefer to aim at your animal? If you like to stay away from bone, then I'm going to probably recommend you throw a large cutting diameter head, regardless if it's a fixed blade or otherwise. If you are the type of person that likes to crowd right up into that that pocket, right up into that triangle, right up inside there, and you're going to be hugging, you could end up contacting some heavy bone then maybe, maybe you lean more towards broadheads that are highly durable, very sharp, and geared. They might have a smaller cutting diameter, but they're geared for maximum penetration. All right? Evaluate how you choose, how you like to shoot. All right? And then number three, how controlled of a shooter are you how disciplined are you right are you do you are do you get buck fever do you get nervous do you everybody all of our heart rates go up if your uh, if your heart rate stays the same why are you even doing it okay we all get excited that's part of the we, what we love about it we love the excitement of hunting but can you stay controlled in that excitement or do you get buck fever? Do you get nervous? Does it just completely go out of your head and you just shoot? I shot and man, I don't even know where the heck that went. I didn't. Even, I don't even remember seeing the pin. I don't remember seeing the arrow. I don't, I don't. Do you just blank out, or are you the type of person, excited or otherwise, has the quote unquote ice in their veins where you pull back, you anchor that pin's there, and you're like, this sucker is going right, right there, and you pick a hair on the side of that, and you're like, it's going zip right there, and you can just. Whack! Execute a perfect shot. Which one are you? Generally speaking. If you are the type of person that is controlled throughout their shot and you don't get rattled, you don't get overly nervous to where you you get target panic or you rip the trigger on their release or or you take snapshots or, or if you're a controlled shooter then I think you have a little bit more flexibility, in my opinion, you might be able to exercise a little bit more flexibility on the broadheads you choose to shoot because you can pick your shots and you usually will have 
all things created equal, you may be able to execute your shot properly to where you can avoid that heavy bone or you can hug that heavy bone or you say, I know that there's heavy, it's a quartering to me shot. I know that it's, but I'm using an iron wheel head or whatever and I'm going to go, I'm going to suck it. I'm going to just slip it right there. Wham. Okay. You have options. However, if you get rattled, if you get buck fever, if you know for a fact your shot on your shots on animals, whether recently or in the past or whatever, for whatever reason you blank out on your shot, again, Joel Turner talks about he's Joel and Tom Clum. If you haven't heard about that, again, they're look them up, Tom Clum, C L U M, Joel Turner. You can listen to Kafaru Cast. They'll they have podcasts on there talking about the iron mine shooting system, all that stuff. If you need help with that, go for it. You go get help with target panic and controlled shooting. That's his specialty. Go for it. Regardless, evaluate yourself and be real with yourself. If you do get nervous and you get buck fever, then I think I'm probably, my opinion is you probably ought to lean on the side of, again, throwing a large cutting diameter head, fixed blade or otherwise. If you have enough energy in your system to run a mechanical, go for it. If you don't, go for a three blade or a four blade head uh, that has the biggest cutting diameter, you know, as long as it's a durable, reputable head, blah, blah, blah. There's there's so many different broadhead review things out there. Well, hold on. I won't, I won't segue to that one yet. Hold on. Eval- choose the, I would recommend that you choose the largest cutting diameter head that shoots accurately out of your bow, out of your setup, that you can shoot accurately. Uh, so accurately and precise. So you got precision, which means everything is grouped tightly. And then you have accuracy, where it might be scattered, but they're all in the same area. Okay, you want something that you can shoot precise and very accurately, no matter how rattled you get. Meaning that animal, I'll use myself as as an example. I got rattled last year. I rushed my shot. I ripped that trigger. I wasn't settled. I didn't stop the animal on my elk. And I made a horrible shot. That arrow came out of that stinking bow. It might as well have come out sideways. I watched it. There was so much kick in that thing. It was ridiculous. And I made a bad hit. I lost my first elk. The first elk that I know, I I mean, I I made a, that arrow went into the body cavity to where that animal's going to die. I'm confident that the animal died. I could not recover it because I made a horrible shot. I'm still sick to death about it today. But the reality is I made a horrible shot. And if that is the case, if you make a horrible shot, Understand, if you rip that trigger or you torque your bow, oops, sorry, torque your bow, you may impart some kick into that system. That arrow comes out with a kick. Some broadheads, you may plane off, and that broadhead is going to steer that arrow who knows where. Okay, if that's the case, if that's the type of shooter you are, your arrows are kicking all over the place and you can't get a bullet hole or you go out and practice and they're kind of all over the place because you're you're torquing your bow or you're ripping the trigger or whatever, then you may be better off getting a mechanical head that's not going to plane your arrow. You may need to stick with a mechanical head. 
How disciplined and controlled of a shooter are you? All right? All of those things, I think, go into your analysis even before we talk about the energy of your setup. Because just because, uh, so say you're, you're shooting seven, a lot of these bows these days, you can crank them all the way down, they'll, they'll, they'll actually go to 72, 73 pounds. Okay? So say you got, you're shooting max poundage 70, 72 pounds. You're shooting a 29-inch arrow. And you're, and you're, you're one of those people that's, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a heavy arrow setup. Okay? So you've got energy out the yin-yang. But you are an absolutely uncontrolled shooter. And I, okay, I'm not, crit, this is, I want you to be clear. I'm not criticizing you. I just told you, I do, I've done that. I just did it last year. I do occasionally, depending on the situation, lose my shit. Sorry. I, 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 Sometimes I want it so dang badly, like last year, and I just I I checked out mentally, and and I yeah, it didn't work. I did it on a whitetail several years ago. I recovered him, but it wasn't the shot that I wanted. So, I I can get rattled. So I know that about myself. Yes, is it is it a criticism? Yes, all of us should strive not to be that or do that, and we should strive to be better. Again, there's other people out there that can help you with that. But the reality is, is that, are you? Because if you are that person that has energy up the yin-yang, but you may fall apart when the animal's in front of you, and you may not hit where you actually thought you wanted to hit, or you were trying to hit, and if subconsciously, now that's the thing, is subconsciously, if you've always, let's just say, Let's, for instance, say you're a whitetail hunter and you grew up PSC. I shoot for PSC still. PSC, one of the, they love speed kills, speed kills. They love speed, speed, speed. And that's why I like some of P, I like PSC for a variety of reasons, but one of them is, is because they're dang fast bows. Even apples to apples, oftentimes the PSCs are a faster bow. Well, Speed goes a long way, but it isn't all of everything. But let's just say you started out bow hunting with that speed, 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 speed mentality. But you saw that you had, you're a whitetail hunter. You saw that even you had speed, you, you had limited penetration if you got kind of too far up the, in the front of the, of the chest of the whitetail. So you're like, man, I want to stay away from that shoulder. I don't want to smack that shoulder. So <clears throat> all of your years of bow hunting, you've been subconscious either consciously or subconsciously always saying i'm going to stay back off the shoulder away from 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 the shoulder and now you decide you're going to go elk hunting but now you want to get into this heavy arrow heavy momentum scenario but in your mind you're still a i want to stay away from the shoulder kind of guy or gal it doesn't matter if you're running heavy energy if you punch him in the gut you punch him in the gut you still need a big honking hole going in. Because, again, most of the time, if you hit him in the stomach, a lot of the times, the arrow ain't going blowing through. Not on an elk. Maybe on a whitetail, but not on an elk. I've seen them stop dead cold tracks in the, on a whitetail. So, 
And quite honestly, the flip, the, the converse is the same. Say you're a lady. You've got short draw length. Maybe you're shooting 50 pounds. But you are a freaking ice-veined, cold, cold executioner as far as your shot execution. And a bull can be standing there screaming in your face and you're like, la-di-da, ho-hum, and just freaking just feed it to him. And you can just, eh, right there is perfect. What Joel, you know, Joel's perfect student. You can execute any shot you ever wanted. You may actually have lower energy than someone else, but you very well may be able to run, a, say, a three-blade mechanical, that you know, an inch-and-a-half mechanical. You get a big hole, or maybe you can run an uh, uh, inch-and-a-half cutting diameter fixed-blade head, like a... Uh, uh, oh, I just lost it. Um, Ramcat, okay? My nephew. Or not, my, he's my cousin, but anyway... My cousin a couple years ago shot that 355, 356-inch bull, 15 yards, broadside. I think he's shooting 50 pounds, 26, 25 and a half, maybe 26-inch draw length, if I remember correctly. He's got low energy just because he was a younger kid. He was 14, maybe? 14? That elk, he was using Ramcats, the original Ramcat. Inch and, five, what, inch and a half, inch and five-eighths, cutting diameter, three-blade? That arrow went through that animal so flippin' fast, we lost the arrow. It's gone. Why? Abe is a frickin' stone-cold killer. He was at full draw. That frickin' bull was standing there, and he, was, he, he literally, full draw, is illegal? <laughs> Shoot him. Smoke. And that's what I said. I was like, smoke him. And I mean, he just 12-ringed that thing. That arrow didn't slow down. Right through him. Low energy. Large fixed blade head, double on that bull. That bull went 60 yards and just piled. There was blood everywhere because the size of the hole he put through that thing was incredible. Okay, but he executed a perfect shot. So keep in mind those things, all right? What style of hunting do you do? Solo or team? It's going to affect how that elk or that animal, or, okay, style, this is, okay, elk. Style hunting is generally for elk. Solo or team? How you call to them is going to impact how they approach your setup and how they interact with the doorway. What is your calling methodology? Again, with elk, are you using a more of my teaching or passive to targeted strategies most of the time? To where those animals are coming in relaxed and stopping on their own in that doorway most of the time, 20 yards or under? Or are you using more of an aggressive strategy, especially one that's heavy on the bugling? And is that animal swinging around you? Is it coming from different directions? Do you not know where the doorway is? Do you not know where they're going to come through? Do you, uh, what type of calling do you do? Or does your group do? That's going to affect the shot opportunity that you might be presented with, okay? How do you prefer to aim at the animals that you're shooting? This is whitetails or elk. Do you like to crowd into the front of the chest? Okay, there's more bone there. Do you want to stay away? Do you naturally, intrinsically want to stay away from bone? Fine. 
There's a lot more softer stuff there. And quite honestly, there's other stuff that may be less critically, uh, less deadly initially to where you, you might benefit or need a large entrance hole. Think about that. And again, how controlled of a shooter are you? <clears throat> Can you execute perfectly 90 plus percent of the time? You've got some options. Do you get nervous? And you're going to be plus or minus several inches on where you actually may end up hitting that animal and it may kind of go shank off somewhere. You may be better off sticking with a larger cutting diameter head. Again, fixed blade or otherwise. There's so many different... You just get on YouTube. There are so many broadhead review type discussions. Some people are shooting them through steel drums. Some people are through, shooting them through plywood. Some, some people are through, shooting them through ballistic gelatin. So every single one of them have it. If someone were shooting them through sides of beef, everybody has, the, there's so much, there's so much out there. And quite honestly, there's some heads that are, that are, that are really, really good. Some are better than the others. And excuse me, quite honestly, hold on. Quite honestly, the reason why I don't want to recommend a particular style head, I mean, I've, I've mentioned Iron Will that I, I think are awesome, but quite honestly, especially some of these, you know, retail-based, mass-manufactured type broadhead companies, quite honestly, I, I don't want to recommend them because you may be watching this video three years from now. I don't know what a manufacturer may or may not do to their quality control. So for instance, I used to be a huge fan of the Rage Hypodermic. It's still an awesome head. But in my opinion, it does not have the same quality standard that it did when it first came out. A new parent company bought them. They've got some changes. There was something. It's, I don't think that head is the same quality that it used to be. So here I may recommend all the, you know, the Rage Tripines, blah, 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 is the best. Well, two years from now, maybe it's so cheap and garbage because it's made in China or wherever else, or maybe you think you bought a Rage Tripan or a Rage Hypodermic and you actually got a knockoff. That happened for a while. So I don't know from a standpoint of recommending a particular, a particular manufacturer or head style I don't know what the the company's quality control is going to be like here in a couple of years, and I don't I don't want to steer you in the wrong direction. But we do understand the different. Most of us do understand the difference between a fixed blade head and a mechanical. And there's enough dialogue out there, and enough videos out there, and enough podcasts and, and discussions out there for you to understand the differences between a fixed blade and mechanical, and the differences between different fixed blades and how forgiving they are and, and how, how well they shoot and how durable they are and all these There's so much out there that you can pick through. I think what you need to do, in my opinion, evaluate your style of hunting, style of shooting, and ability to shoot. Then say, hmm, maybe I should probably lean more towards a fixed blade. Research your fixed plates. 
Or maybe you go, well, based on what Chris was saying, hey, it makes some sense. To be honest, if I was really honest with myself, probably I like shoot. I I, I kind of I like staying more towards that softer stuff. And I uh, mean, maybe maybe I probably ought to just stay with a a larger cutting diameter head. Okay, fine. Then go go research this, and then and then and then evaluate the energy of your system and say, well, shoot, I'm shooting seventy pounds heavy arrow. I've got plenty of energy. Okay, fine. Find yourself a really reputable, awesome mechanical if you want, and just rip a mechanical or. Find a big honking fixed blade and just throw the biggest hole that you can throw throw through them accurately. All right. So, uh, I could probably keep rambling on that, but I think that covers it. All right. And here we are. <laughs> two, two hours. I told you if you want, people have asked about a podcast and I, I've resisted it because this is what happens. If you want me to talk, oh, I'm going to talk. And you're gonna get my ideas, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start going down rabbit hole. So here it is. So I'm gonna go ahead and kill this. We're gonna wrap this one up. Let me know what you think. Did it help? Did it not help? Do you like this? Do you like this type of video? Do you like this type of format? Is it is this something that you want more of or not? If you if if you say nah, we don't care, then fine. I'll put my edge uh, my effort somewhere else. But if you do like this sort of discussion, fine. I'll do some more of them. But you need to let me know. All right, please by all means let me know. And by all means, please, if you're not following me on social media, on Instagram or Facebook, and you ha- and you do spend some time on Instagram and Facebook, please go over to Row Hunting Resources, hit a like, hit a follow, follow along what's going on there, all right? Same thing, if you enjoy YouTube and you're on YouTube, I do have a plan to do more YouTube stuff. The more subscribers I have over on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, the better, the more stuff that I can do through the YouTube algorithm and all sorts of other stuff, and it just helps, all right? So just click subscribe over there, and we'll spend some more time over there. But if you are the type of person that loves whitetail hunting, and you love turkey hunting, and and you love elk hunting, or you just like hearing me talk about it and habitat stuff and just what's going on, by all means, please consider either getting the full access membership or upgrading to the full access membership so that you can get these first. Again, they're going to be couched in whatever respective uh, module that you know they're pertinent to. So this one might probably be more focused over into the elk module, but it may be worthy to put it in the deer module as well. But uh, it'll be it'll be housed under there. But the full access members will get access to it first. All right, so. Anyway, consider that. Again, because I do. I appreciate every single one of you. Well, we got a whole pile of new new folks joining in this year, which is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. I don't, I mean, by all means, let us know where, how you found, I mean, if there was a promo code or if there was, you know, if, if you checked one of those boxes down in, you know, when you were subscribing, you said, did you find out YouTube? Was it a podcast? Whatever. Awesome. Thank you for letting us know. But I guess, whatever. Doesn't matter. However you found us. Awesome. Thanks for, for giving this a go and, and jumping on. Uh, I appreciate you tremendously. And for those of you that are gluttons for punishment and keep coming back year after year to stare at this face and hear this you know this voice, <laughs> you guys you guys and gals are awesome. And I appreciate it. We've got folks out here that have been here every single year since we kicked this off, what, in 2010, 2011 or whatever it was. You guys are great. Thank you. Because again, I do. I work for you. I work for you. It's a subscription-based program. So I don't have to worry 
about creating content for the sake of creating content because I have to meet the obligations of a sponsor or an advertiser. I, I don't have to worry about offending an advertiser or a sponsor by talking about something else or, you know, like I said with Iron Will, I love Iron Will heads, but they're a small head and they don't leave a big, they, they don't leave a gargantuan hole. They're awesome for penetration. They're not awesome for if you accidentally make a bad shot and you bury it in the gut pocket, okay, you're not going to have a significant amount of trauma and you're not going to have a big honking hole that's going to shed a lot of blood. Same thing goes if you're shooting from a tree stand. I killed my buck this year with an iron wheel head from the tree stand, 17 yards, but I'm shooting down and he was quartering towards, boom, right here, spined him. He hit the dirt and it killed him because it went in the chest cavity. But if I had been off and I did catch that spine and I went in and I came in from above, but the arrow did not come out for some reason, I know I would have killed him. But now the wound is up here and it's a small hole. There's pluses and minuses to every head that you have out there. All right? There's always a trade-off between penetration and durability and the size of the wound channel that you create. Whether it's a... a entrance and exit hole scenario or if it's only a, an entrance hole scenario okay so anyway my point being is i work for you because you guys are the ones that come and subscribe or you don't and if i'm not doing my job for you that's when i see whether we drop off on memberships or if you guys do like what's happening and you share this information and you, and you get your buddies to sign up or your family to sign up or you tell people about it and this grows, then I know I'm doing what I'm doing something right and it just helps me keep this whole engine running. All right? So thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to kill it. Otherwise, we're going to keep rambling. So until the next video, which hopefully will be shortly, thanks everybody. See you next time.